Pro teams have millions to spend, and they don't always spend them wisely. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry, with overpriced, underperforming products, and decided to do something better. They found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of the other big brands, so you never wonder if you overpaid. Harry's shaving products look great, and the weighted handle makes shaving feel great too. I like to keep my beard neat, and Harry's always leaves me with a smooth yet crisp shave. Harry's quality is top-notch, thanks to German-engineered blades made in their own factory that stay sharp longer. You can get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover for just three bucks at harrys.com slash bluewire. And Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set. There's news in the NFL today. It's time to break it down in the only way we know how. Hot Rock Style. Earl! Johnny! With our spin on football headlines with a mix of frozen tundras. Let's be a cold weather team. Neck rolls. And grass-stained jerseys. The good old-fashioned guts was probably the biggest difference in the game. Hello, welcome everybody to another episode of Hot Routes. Matthew Collar along with Jonathan Harrison here as we do every week a little bit behind schedule because I was hosting on WCCO Radio. Usually we go live on YouTube at 9 o'clock, but we are here and uh, ready to talk about all sorts of Super Bowl related things and also we have some coaching hires. So uh, I think a good place to begin though, Jonathan, is of course with uh, conspiracies involving referees. Yes. Uh, let, let me ask you something before we get, this is not a hot routes question. This is just a thought. Um, are there any sports conspiracies that you do buy into? Like, do you have the one where you're like, look, I know this sounds crazy, but maybe this one actually might be true. Um, you know, maybe there's a lot of people who believe that the referees have a role in trying to, uh, you know, push one team forward or umpires or whoever that could help the league. And I think that that maybe is rooted for a time when it used to matter what the market size was, but mm-hmm. it really does not matter what size markets are for the NFL. I mean, Kansas City is not a big media market. And neither is Cincinnati. And yet look at what they did as far as ratings wise went. But uh, is there any for you where you're like, you know what? There's some people that think this crazy thing, but maybe I agree. I think the biggest one is the NBA and their drafts and where some of their key players end up. I mean, you got the Patrick Ewing thing back in the day. You got Shaq going to Orlando and then you got LeBron just landing in Cleveland. I know Cleveland was terrible that year and kind of earned the number one overall pick, but there's a lot of these things that just kind of happen and it's, it's built up over the years in the NBA. I think that's the most believable one. I don't, I don't think it's logical that they would rig it that way, but it does make sense, especially back in the day. Like you said, when media market size did matter, you wanted one of the best college prospects in Patrick Ewing going to the New York Knicks. It didn't make sense to have him going anywhere else. It didn't have him make sense to have him going to Indiana because they weren't that big of a media market back then. It it didn't 
it mattered back then. Like you said, it doesn't now. I think LeBron just, I think, I think LeBron James in Cleveland broke that idea that media, media market size matters. And ever since it really hasn't mattered, but before that it definitely did matter. So Patrick Ewing landing in New York is I think the biggest one that I believe in. Well, with all conspiracy theories, there's always some way to connect it to make it kind of work. And yeah. so you could be like, oh, LeBron was from there and they yeah. wanted to rejuvenate the franchise so it wouldn't have to move. And, uh, you know, you brought up the Shaq one and that's uh, talked about a little bit, not so much the conspiracy theory, but why it would almost make sense if there was one when Shaq went to Orlando because that franchise had just started and it was maybe much more risky at the time to start a new pro sports franchise to bring in and expand the league than it was now. And we saw some of those fail. I mean, the Vancouver Grizzlies just straight up failed and ended up in Memphis. So it was a lot more risky then. And maybe there was a little like, let's make sure that Shaq ends up in Orlando because then that team is going to have success. And honestly, that's exactly what happened. He went to Orlando. The franchise became very briefly like incredible and one of the most popular in the entire country. So yeah, I could see that the frozen envelope type of thing that, you know, all draft lotteries are kind of enshrouded in secrecy anyway. And even if somebody goes through the whole process of what they do, because a lot of times you're not really sure, like, wait, did they kind of set it up and, you know, whatever else, um, you know, maybe there's something to that. But for me, it's probably the people who argue, this goes to the NBA at, at some point as well, that like the Lakers were propped up in that series against Sacramento. That's one that I think some shady stuff was going on. And I also think that there are things that can be explained that aren't conspiracies, but are more of it happens with referees. And one of those things is when a team is down in a game or let's say a team is up in a game and they're driving. And if they score, you could turn off the TVs. So like, let's say it's a 10 point game in the fourth quarter and the team who's up by 10 is moving the ball. And if they score a touchdown, it's over. And then there's a holding call and it kind of brings it back. And the other team's got a possession and now it's going to come down to the very end. If you start looking for it, you'll sort of get frustrated how often you see it. But I don't think that that's any sort of edict from the NFL. I think it might be just a little bit of human nature from the referees when one team is kind of rolling and they're thinking like, well, you know, let's, Let's look a little closer or I don't know. It's just, or it's just a coincidence entirely, but it even happened to Kansas city and all the people who pointed to the holding that didn't get called or this or that, there was also a very borderline holding that did get called that would have put them in position to go up by two scores as opposed to one later in the game. So maybe there's a human nature element. I definitely used to think that home teams got all the calls and that actually matched up in almost every sport until not that long ago when they started making refereeing more scientific, putting more effort into it. And also when people could all see the games and everything else. And when this came out, it was like the study that showed that referees were giving bias to home teams. I think they realized it and said, we can't have this happening. And uh, now in the NFL, there's less of an advantage to playing at home than there was before because that was part of it. So as far as sports conspiracy theories goes, I don't know. I mean, there's always behind the scenes stories of things that happen that are hidden. Uh, maybe mm-hmm. say, okay, one that I heard, and I won't say what team because it's not like corroborate. I'm not reporting this, 
but I heard that a team that won the Super Bowl was able, and this is not the Patriots, but was able to get a hold of the signals for the other team going into the Super Bowl. Oh. So they knew everything the other team was going to call. And the team that won in the Super Bowl put on an amazing defensive performance. So there's always things that go on that you don't know about, which I think opens the door to things like that. But no, I that's don't like, think the NFL is is rigging up anything. That's like the old uh, conspiracy theory within Vikings fan base where 41 Donut happened because the New York Giants had tapped the Vikings headsets and <laughs> yeah. they were able to listen into their calls when you just kind of find out like some of the players went out the night before and they weren't ready to play. Like it just happens. Or that also might've happened. <laughs> yeah, I mean, true, true. There have been times in new England where this stuff went on and because, oh, yeah. because there are always these sort of famed stories and I'll give you one of them, which is, I believe it was the New York giants and San Francisco 49ers where you talk about the headsets, the, uh, Giants knew that if the headsets went out, the rule was that both teams, and this is still the rule, both teams have to take the headsets off and they have to go with manual signals. And they figured that it would be harder for San Francisco to communicate and do what uh, Bill Walsh wanted them to do if they killed the headsets. So they did it on purpose. That's they, amazing. So they prepared for having no headsets. The other team was not prepared for it. Uh, there have been other moments in New England where all of a sudden the AM radio broadcast is coming through the headsets. and yeah. But now we have so much better technology that if that happened, there would be like a full-fledged investigation because we're just in a different place. And I think a lot of those things, because the, everyone has so much access to these teams, that things that are enshrouded in secrecy are not so much as they used to be. So anyway, well, that kicks us off to where I wanted to go, which is uh, there's been a lot of discussion about whether there should have been a holding call on Patrick Mahomes' first down run and whether the NFL is rigged to get Mahomes in the Super Bowl. Uh, do you think that the NFL will react in any way to the scrutiny that it received after that game? Because nobody knows this better than the people we cover, Minnesota fans, about uh, overreactions or reactions to things, say, like the overtime rule that maybe Minnesota fans wish they had changed before. Uh, that allowed New Orleans to go to the Super yes. Bowl. But do you think that the NFL will look at what happened in this last weekend, not only just in the Kansas City game, but also uh, the Devontae Smith catch that was not a catch? Will they look at it and say, we need to do X, Y, or Z? I think there's been enough push over the past you know, year, year and a half, two years maybe, for Sky Judge that it might possibly become a thing. The NFL's a $10 billion business. They can afford a Sky Judge. But with something like that happening at such a prominent moment that it might push them to finally do it and pull the trigger on instituting Sky Judge across the league. It, it, it's something that should have been happening for a while because of the amount of money and how little effort it takes from the NFL to actually do it and how much benefit it is to the NFL's product overall that who knows, this might actually spark it. But I think overall, it's just a classic overreaction of everybody watching the same game at the same time, it being legitimately one of the only sporting events on at that time. And everybody's tweeting about it. Everybody's on social media about it and everybody's losing their mind about it, that it kind of all just like builds and swells into this moment that we're all talking about it a couple days later. It's kind of overshadowed what was a pretty damn good game. And I think it's just a classic overreaction of just everybody doing and saying the same thing. I think we're just noticing it more because it was the only thing on. So I don't know that, they'll do anything in two weeks at the Super Bowl, 
But I think this summer there might be more conversation about Sky Judge being instituted or something else that will help the referees get these calls correct in the moment, just giving them time to think because we know this game is so fast, these players are so fast, that it's going to take drastic measures to help these referees out, whether it's you know instituting Sky Judge or putting more officials on the field to help them out. But there needs to be something done because these calls in these moments, like that Devontae or that – that that catch in Philadelphia, it shouldn't have been, it shouldn't have happened. They had we had the technology to see it literally seconds later that it wasn't a catch, and that changed probably the course of that game from the outset. I don't know that Philadelphia keeps going because the 49ers defense came out of that game really hot. They they let up the first drive, sure, but after that they really held Philadelphia down pretty pretty. They held that offense down pretty well to keep them in the game despite. San Francisco's offense not showing up at all because of a messy quarterback situation. So yeah, the moments like that change things. And I think there's going to be more conversation this offseason for Sky Judge or something like that. So I had a conversation with uh, Dean Blandino, who's the Fox Sports rules analyst about Sky Judge. And what he said is that it is plausible if you had someone who really was focused on only a handful of different things. Mm -hmm. If you just have a sky judge watching every single thing, you're probably going to get more flags than anyone wants. I mean, because then you're talking about like, oh, well, there was a hold over there. And referees do this, I know, and I want them to do this. If a play or if a penalty does not really affect what happened in the play, if it's away from the play or something like that, they're going to most of the time try to swallow the whistle. Uh, mm-hmm. Because if you'd had every backside of a run that was a hold all oh, way over there, it would just be way too many flags and everyone would hate it. So if you had a sky judge looking at the spot of the ball where they could buzz down and just be like, We're, okay, nope, you missed that one, uh, where they could do it within the flow of the game, which this is the crazy thing about the Devontae Smith catch is that's actually in the rules that they're allowed to yeah. do a quick review almost like an immediate review. And this has happened a handful of times in like Vikings games that I was covering where they just buzzed down and said, no, no, no. But in that case uh, there, and there should have been uh, the feed also on TV to give them different viewpoints to be able to tell. So that was just a strange instance of something that's actually there in play that they should have been able to deal with. And it was a failure by everybody involved that they were not able to turn that over. And I agree that, you know, of course, Brock Purdy got hurt, so we don't know how the game would have played out. Um, but in that moment, that was a turnover. It wasn't just a catch that led to a touchdown. That was a fourth down catch. And so that that would have changed a lot of things potentially about that game, including whether maybe even Brock Purdy gets hurt if you go complete butterfly effect on that. But I think that if you had Sky Judge involved in a quick review of pass interference potentially where they could watch a replay and just buzz down and, and you get 15 seconds. And if it's like, Oh, okay. What you thought happened didn't happen, but also every 15 yard personal foul on a quarterback, because those are clearly yes. so difficult to evaluate that if a guy accidentally puts too much of his weight on the quarterback or something, but it really wasn't, or it kind of looks like it, but it wasn't uh, to fit the penalty. Someone should be able to buzz down and say, no, that was not a 15 yard penalty. Cause that can completely change the game. I would say the same, even though what Joseph Osai did on the sideline was a penalty, it was correctly called. And anybody saying you can't call that in that moment, huh? Right. 
So, so, so you want people that already have enough trouble calling the rules to pick and choose when they call them? <laughs> no, the guy was completely out of bounds and he hammered him. Everybody knows you did the wrong thing. You need to call the game the whole way through, no matter the situation. This isn't like basketball and they decide whether to let him play or not. This is like the rules are pretty clear. But on a play like that, it is bang, bang. I would want the review because if Mahomes was not out of bounds, then you just gave the Super Bowl to the Chiefs on a play where he wasn't out of bounds. And that's something where you could easily just be like, okay, look at the quick replay. All good. Go ahead. And we don't have to have huge delays because I think what nobody wants is more replay, more challenges. And the other thing that agitates me about not having this already implemented is having a, a good eye for when the refs screwed up is a coaching talent. That's <laughs> not a coaching talent. And it is for all sports. If you're good at challenges and you win more than you lose, you've done well for yourself, but what's like how, them getting their jobs wrong is now a skill that you need to have is to figure out how wrong they got it in real time. Uh, and I know someone is up in the booth a lot of times looking at it, which is why it wasn't challenged. Uh, on the Smith catch because they wouldn't have seen it. Uh, the person right. who's responsible for telling the head coach to challenge or not, it looked like a catch from all the angles until they came back from break when it was too late. So a lot of people said, Nick Sirianni, what are you doing? But they don't understand that's the process. Is it someone up in the booth's job to tell the head coach? Cause he can't see better than you can see in the broadcast, which they can see in the, in the coordinator's booth. So again, and all of that's just ridiculous and unnecessary. Right. I would be totally fine with removing all of that and giving a specific set of things for the sky judge to do and allow them to get it right when it's calls that are generally accepted as being impossible to see in real time. Yeah, it it, it doesn't have to take long. Like you said, give them 15 seconds and on questionable plays like the catch, like the Devontae Smith catch, have the sky judge just buzz down to the ref, the ref on the field and say, hey, hold up the play. We're going to take a look at this quick. And it takes 15 seconds, 30 seconds max, and then they can move on. And they'll get it right most of the time because they'll have those that extra 15 seconds, 30 seconds, instead of letting the ref on the field continue play because Devontae Smith got up, probably knowing he didn't catch that ball and hurrying his team to make the next play because he was very aware that that catch wasn't a catch and it would have changed the game. And yes, having a very specific set of things that the sky judge can look at will help kind of trim down the time delays from sky judge. Instead of letting them look at holding calls that happened on the complete other side of the field, they should only look at stuff that affected the play at hand and where the ball was moving and pass interference. And they already take a look at every single turnover and every single touchdown, just add this other stuff in there and it's not going to affect the game too much. I mean, the game's already going three and a half hours. I think if someone caught the ball, it's pretty easy to figure out or intercepted yeah. it. So we do, we actually save time if yeah. they just call down, which is actually in place already. Like save time, mm-hmm. okay, we don't we're not going to waste the coach's time challenging this. Yeah. Any sort of spot of the ball that's way off, did someone break the plane of the goal line or not? Shouldn't take any more than a few seconds to figure out most of the time. But there's a whole list, and then penalties that are enormous. Like there aren't that many. 15 plus yard penalties if we add in pass interference i think it's very easy to say they have like you said 15 seconds to look at a pass interference and if it was totally wrong as a call and it was a complete mistake then you just buzz down say pick up the flag and nobody even has to know either even if they're worried about 
uh, you know, uh, being embarrassed that they got it wrong or being overruled or something. Nobody even has to know. They could just say there is no flag for this. We're picking it up. We're going back about our life. So the answer is right there for the NFL. And I don't like when the NFL overreacts because then it ends up with the pass interference reviews, which were a disaster. But I think that if they react smartly to this, they have the technology, they have the people, they could make it a little bit better and a little less controversial, but maybe the NFL likes the discussion. I don't know. I wouldn't think that they would, but sometimes in the NFL, things that are negative about the league become uh, just more talking points. So next question for you, Jonathan, a big development in Denver uh, despite some reporters claiming for weeks that Sean Payton would in no way possible be the head coach. If you follow old takes exposed, they had a lot of fun with this on Twitter. Uh, Rex Ryan said not in a million years. And it happened days later, which is amazing. <laughs> so uh, Sean Payton is the head coach of the Broncos. They sent a first round pick to the saints to get him. I want you to predict how many years Sean Payton is there and how deep in the playoffs the Broncos go at any point during Sean Payton's tenure as Broncos head coach. Pro teams have millions to spend, and they don't always spend them wisely. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry with overpriced, underperforming products and decided to do something better. They found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of the other big brands, so you never wonder if you overpaid. Harry's shaving products look great, and the weighted handle makes shaving feel great too. I like to keep my beard neat, and Harry's always leaves me with a smooth yet crisp shave. Harry's quality is top-notch, thanks to German-engineered blades made in their own factory that stay sharp longer. You can get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover for just three bucks at harrys.com slash bluewire. And Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I don't think he's going to be there that long because you look at this roster and by trading for Russell Wilson, uh, it signaled that they wanted to win now. They wasn't a developmental team and, and George Payton there has built up this roster over a short amount of time to win now. So it feels like this is a very short run thing because of Russell Wilson's age. I don't see Sean Payton at 59 deciding, yeah, I'm going to stick with this for another 10 years and develop another quarterback and get another 10, 12 year run out of a Drew Brees type guy. It just doesn't seem like that's going to be the thing that happens here. So I don't see it as a very long run, maybe four or five years in Denver. And then the whole thing falls apart. But I mean, we saw it fall apart this year and this was a team that was supposed to win this year. It's a very, he he's going into the toughest division in all of football with the quarterbacks that are there already in Justin Herbert and Patrick Mahomes and whatever Las Vegas decides to do at quarterback, whether it's Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, 
whoever they decide to take there. It's a very tough division, so I don't know that they'll ever win their division. So from there on, they're having to start in the wild card round and try and move into the playoffs, move on through the playoffs from there. So I don't know that they're going to go very far, even though it is Sean Payton and he is an offensive mastermind. It's still Sean Payton dealing with essentially end of the run Drew Brees like he had to do at the end of the run in New Orleans, where he had to game plan the hell out of every single week to game plan around the weaknesses of his quarterback. And he's going to have to do that again. And for a guy who just spent a year in TV, seeing how easy that was at pretty much the same pay, I would imagine, because we know TV's just throwing around money at this point to whoever they can get, any big name coach or player they can get, they'll throw the money at him, especially Fox right now. So he'll, he'll know that, Man, that was an easy gig compared to what I have to do here. If this isn't going to work out after a couple of years, I'll just bounce back to TV and take a huge paycheck there. So I don't see it going for very long, and I honestly don't see them going very deep in the playoffs. I feel the same way, and I, I do want to give Sean Payton the benefit of the doubt yeah. of being one of the best offensive minds of the last X number of years. And I know he had a great quarterback. Everybody who ranks number one in <laughs> offense usually does. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, the way that they worked around, like you said, the Drew Brees and what was left of him, even at the very, very end where he couldn't yeah. throw the ball more than 30 yards. If they wanted to throw a bomb, they had Taysom Hill do it. And he got very creative with his route combinations and with the weapons that they had. Michael Thomas, remember when the criticism was the guy only runs slants, yeah. but he also catches 140 passes, like <laughs> getting him open, using Alvin Kamara the way that they did. We haven't seen the same version of Alvin Kamara since Sean Payton is gone. And, you know, I think that there is a possibility that he gets that team, you know, back and rolling because uh, Nate Hackett was just so far in over his head. At the same time, I don't know if you reverse time, like when it comes to Russell Wilson. Yeah. When somebody's done, are they just done? Like a lot of times they are. Now, Tom Brady had a down year before he went to Tampa Bay, and it was amazing. But Tampa Bay had Chris Godwin and Mike Evans in an incredible offensive line, and Brady was not playing anywhere near as poorly as Russell Wilson. I think it was clear that the Patriots needed a better roster around Brady at that point in his career. In this case, I mean, Wilson was one of the legit worst quarterbacks in the NFL. Here's another part of this as well in, in terms of the comparisons to Breeze and Brady. Russell Wilson, I think, is a borderline, if not Hall of Fame quarterback, probably will be. He's right there. But, I mean, you know, either way, he's good. Breeze and Brady are the cream of the crop all time. Like, these are mm -hmm. the absolute best of the best, the highest cut, the 99th point ninth percentile. And they're also at the top in terms of leadership as well. And Tom Brady basically took over that Tampa Bay franchise and Bruce Arians let him do it. Like, okay, well, it's your offense, buddy. You coach practice, which he did sometimes, according to you know, some of the reporters down there. And that's not Russell Wilson. I mean, Russell Wilson has trouble not having his former teammates even make fun of him on podcasts and things like that. Like <laughs> yes. Russell Wilson does not have the personality that Drew Brees does. Drew Brees is in command. Whereas Russell Wilson, you know, he was the guy in Seattle and he's a great quarterback and a great story from a third round pick who was underappreciated coming out of the draft. But he's a different guy now, it seems. It seems that there's a diva element to him and also just an element where he does not connect with people in the same way that those other guys did. And I, I think that that is going to be 
difficult uh, for him and Sean Payton. And, and the other point to make too is if Russell Wilson is a pocket quarterback, I don't think that he's anywhere close to Breeze and Brady who were pocket quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons that they lasted so long is that they didn't have to run to make their bones. Uh, you know, this was, I was always so impressed with Randall Cunningham, how he became a pocket quarterback uh, in 98 after running around for his entire career. But most people can't do that. And, you know, Randall Cunningham was also bigger and taller and could see over yeah. the line. And I think that opponents really understand if Russell Wilson is not making plays out of structure, he's not Russell Wilson. I it's in my mind, it's going to be mediocrity for them. Almost yep. like if you remember when Joe Gibbs came back and coached Washington, just wasn't quite the same. We have seen coaching comebacks work, um, but even his mentor, Bill Parcells, returned to somewhere. Was it Dallas? Came yep, back to Dallas. Dallas. You know, had some good seasons, didn't have some good seasons. It wasn't, it wasn't the same as when he was in New York or New England or, of course, the New York Giants uh, or Jets. He coached both, but it wasn't quite the same. And I wonder if it's not going to be quite the same uh, for Sean Payton, maybe even in the same way that it wasn't for John Gruden when he came back. Like he had some decent offenses, but it just wasn't like the same level as where he was when he walked away. Payton hasn't been gone for long, but the game really does change quickly. Yeah, there'll be marked improvement over what it was last year because it won't be the dumpster fire under Nathaniel Hackett because Sean Payton's a better, obviously a better leader than Hackett is. So there'll be offensive improvement there. The defense is already pretty decent. But again, you're still in one of the toughest divisions in all of the NFL, and you're in the toughest quarterback conference in the NFL. So the playoffs are just, it's its really difficult in the AFC playoffs, and we'll talk about that later, to get through. And Russell Wilson, I don't think he has it in him anymore to do that because he's just not the same quarterback anymore. We saw, we heard for years how Seattle should have just let Russ cook, and then we saw that happen this year, and we saw why Seattle never let him cook. I just don't see as much of an offensive mind as Sean Payton is. I don't see Super Bowl in their future under him with Russell Wilson as the quarterback. If it happens, I imagine it's with a different quarterback, but I also don't think Sean Payton's there that long to see another quarterback take over in Denver. So I looked at the Hall of Fame monitor, which Mm -hmm. uh, I enjoy using for pro football reference just out of curiosity. And it has Russell Wilson with a similar case for the Hall of Fame to Eli Manning, which will be debated. And Eli Manning has the two Super Bowls, which will bump Mm -hmm. him up, and I think deservedly so. And with Russell Wilson, he has the one, which, again, you can't take away from that, and a little more prolific efficiency uh, than um, Eli Manning did. But I think of them as the same being borderline, but I don't know how much is left there. And the, the let Russ cook thing probably made a lot of sense like three, four years before his efficiency started to go down a little bit. And even though they had good offenses, it wasn't quite the same. Another point to be made too is in Seattle, he had great wide receivers, not just good, but really great uh, when he was in the later part of his prime. And tell me how Denver's getting them would be my question. And with uh, Drew Brees, they surrounded Drew Brees with a tremendous offensive line, an elite wide receiver, uh, elite playmaking running back who was basically a wide receiver. A lot of times with the older quarterbacks, that's what it depends on. We saw that with Phillip Rivers that later in his career, when they were able to put some things around him, he could be successful still. But when they had down years, it was really down. I think we're going to see that from Wilson that I don't know how without any draft capital, 
they turn around what is around Russell Wilson. So I, I wonder if Sean Payton, this is about a money grab and also maybe just like a little bit of arrogance on his part, thinking like, yeah. oh, well, that last coach was a fool. I can do this. Maybe he'll be right. I don't know. Uh, somebody pointed out that they played in a lot of one game loss or one score losses, and maybe that will turn around for them next year. Uh, I don't know. I, I have a tough time seeing them being really good, I think. Yeah, as as to your point of no draft capital, they also don't have a whole lot of cap room. They go in according to over the cap to this offseason with just $9 million in cap. Now, obviously some things will happen that that'll boost up, but wide receivers, good wide receivers don't come cheap anymore. They're getting massive contracts. You're not going to bring in good enough wide receivers that will match what Russell Wilson had in Seattle for with just $9 million in cap space. Normally you have to draft them. Uh, or trade for them, and they've already used everything they can trade. I don't see a great path for them unless Russell just gets 100% healthy and finds it, and maybe he was playing through injuries or something last year. Uh, All right, next question for you. The Super Bowl usually becomes all about the quarterbacks, and that is the same case here for this year with two very exciting quarterbacks in Mahomes and Jalen Hurts. But there's a lot of talented quarterbacks who have not made it to a Super Bowl so far. Which quarterbacks around the NFL that have not made it to a Super Bowl will someday be there? And who is your favorite quarterback ever to not make it to a Super Bowl? It's funny how we bring up, or I bring up at least, how difficult the quarterback conference of the AFC is. Yet the first three guys on my list are all from the AFC and Josh Allen, Trevor Lawrence, and Lamar Jackson. They'll have to go through Joe Burrow and Patrick Mahomes to do it because I would imagine for the next decade, one of those two is going to be in the AFC championship game uh, alongside or against one of the other two, one of these other three guys. I think one of those three or all three of them at some point will get to the Super Bowl. I think I'm leaning more towards Josh Allen because I've, I like what I've seen so far, but Trevor Lawrence is sneaking up and we've talked about him a couple of times all over the past couple of weeks on this podcast with what they've built there in Jacksonville over just the last summer over the last offseason and what they're going to go and continue building through the future with Doug Peterson and Trevor Lawrence at the helm there. I like their chances, especially in their division. That's an incredibly weak division. They'll basically be able to steamroll all their opponents there and just go into the AFC playoffs. And with Trevor Lawrence, as you mentioned on the Purple Insider podcast, was seven was seven points away from beating the Chiefs in the divisional round. That's incredible for a guy who had an awful rookie season because of his head coach and turned it around in one one year. So I think Trevor Lawrence is the likeliest to do it for the NFC guys. I want to see what uh, Kyler Murray can do under a new head coach, though. That's a very distant shot for him to do it because I haven't liked what I've seen, but how much of that was the fact that Cliff Kingsbury was his head coach. You got Dak Prescott always in that conversation and they just got rid of their offensive coordinator. Now Mike McCarthy, who we all know that I'm not a big fan of, is going to be leading that offense. So we'll see how that goes this season. If they can get a new coach there, maybe he has a better shot, but they've had stacked rosters for the past couple of years and they still haven't been able to do it in the playoffs. So I don't know how much I want to leave that up to Dak Prescott or not, but he's one of those guys I think that could because of the weakness of the rest of the NFC. And yeah, for as for guys who are my favorite to never make the Super Bowl, you mentioned him, Randall Cunningham. The closest he came was the 98 season, and that was one of my favorite seasons ever because it was one of the first seasons I can truly remember as an eight-year-old watching the Vikings just steamroll opponent week in and week out with one of the best offenses to ever grace the field. So Randall Cunningham's up there. Phillip Rivers is also number two just because of the gunslinger mentality and how many close chances they had in San Diego, and it just fell apart, whether it was him or other things or kicking issues or whatnot. 
everything seemed to break down at the wrong time for Philip Rivers, and I wish he would have gotten to the Super Bowl just once. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Philip Rivers is a great selection for that and uh, had him as mine as well because he was one of the most fun quarterbacks to watch during his time. Also, Andrew Luck, who got to an AFC championship, Mm -hmm. then there was footballs deflated, but they got killed anyway. And I think Andrew Luck would have gotten there eventually had he continued to play, but he's apparently living his best life now. So good for you, Andrew Luck. Uh, as far as, I mean, you name the guys who are kind of the obvious ones that we think will eventually Lamar Jackson is a difficult one because I think that the landscape, assuming he stays with the Ravens, all of a sudden is going to get much more tricky, yeah. uh, for them with paying Lamar Jackson. And he sounds like he's taking top dollar or nothing. And that is, you know, it's kind of a dangerous game because wherever you end up, if you go somewhere else and you're Lamar Jackson, you've had two straight years of injuries. If you get hurt uh, or if your team just can't be built around you the same way that Baltimore was, he's still going to be a really exciting quarterback. But if he slows down a little with his running game, even if I think his passing will get better as he goes along, almost in like Steve McNair type of fashion, we've seen the peak of his passing can be really good. Uh, it's still a guy who needs to be a very dynamic runner to be great. And if you can't put the line around him to block in front of his running, if you can't protect him when he's throwing the ball, if he, you know, you can't sign your receiver. It's not like Mahomes where you made him expensive and couldn't sign your receiver. And it just didn't matter because the guy was so good. I don't think Lamar is quite to that level as almost nobody uh, is. So Lamar is pretty debatable. Another one would be Tua. And, and, you know, I think that they're, team and their receivers and what they have going for them offensively makes them an interesting team for the coming years. But his health really concerns me. I could see it like things going right. Or Mm -hmm. one year Mahomes just has one bad game for once and loses and somebody else gets in. Uh, There's some other ones that would be a very sort of fun bet for like a lifetime, like Kenny Pickett. Does Kenny Pickett ever have it happen? (laughs) And, And if you include, does Kenny Pickett someday make it as a backup? Now that would make it even more interesting because imagine saying that like, Hey, will, uh, you know, Chad Henney ever be in a super bowl? You'd be like, no way. He's been in a couple now because he's Chad Henney and he's their backup. (laughs) Deshaun Watson is another one to discuss. Mm -hmm. I think that situation is not going to be good. I I think that he's paid way too much. Cleveland is way too bad of an organization and uh, I just don't, I just don't see it. Like he might not even ever be the same version of himself that he was again, if he is, then they have a chance. Um, but 
again, with the contract versus the player, it's always difficult to make that math work. Um, you know, maybe there's some other fun ones here that you could bet. Like, I mean, Dak is definitely another one. Well, your Mike McCarthy take has really, really gone off in the last couple of weeks after they <laughs> fired a really good offensive coordinator. But how about anyone who's drafted in the top 10 as far as quarterbacks yeah. this year? Will any of them go to a Super Bowl? I would bet the yes on that, but which one? We have no idea. Uh, so, like, does that mean, but look at the teams we're going to draft them. Like, does that mean Houston goes to a Super Bowl someday? And mm-hmm. that does tie into our other point about Sean Payton. You might rather be D'Amico Ryans in Houston yep. by a lot than you would be Sean Payton in Denver, even though the organizations, as far as how they're run, are quite a bit different. So, um, anyway, well, there's, you know, there's a lot of potentially fun answers to that, but you kind of, you kind of, uh, as they say in the biz, stole my thunder uh, with a charger. <laughs> am I right? For the best quarterback not to make it. Randall Cunningham is a great pick. I, I don't we know. We didn't mention Justin Herbert though. I mean, now that he's got Kellen yeah. Moore as, an, as his offensive coordinator, things could be on the upswing there uh, with or in Los Angeles. Granted, he still has Patrick Mahomes in his conference, but I mean, he's got a good offensive coordinator that, the Cowboys just seem to not want anymore for some reason. So I think he might have a good chance over the next couple of years to develop into a really good quarterback. I know you have your doubts for good reasons, but I think with Kellen Moore at the helm there, who's shown he can do some really good work with offenses, I think there's a better chance now than there was in the past. I agree. Uh, another interesting one might be Justin Fields and whether he yeah. ever, not just with his own team, but with another team. And if they choose to build around him, they lead the league in cap space. They've got a lot of draft capital. They're picking number one and could trade down and get even more. Uh, do you think that he's good enough? I'm not really sure yet. I, I mean, I think it's always the third year that really tells us, and we're not there, and his situation is going to be a lot better. So it might be like a Jalen Hurts type thing, and two years down the road, we're talking about Chicago as a beast. Um, yeah. But uh, really, really interesting. I mean, that would be one to like make a long-term bet with your friends of like which guys will make – a Super Bowl that haven't already. Uh, speaking of quarterbacks, uh, Brock Purdy has a torn UCL, which will not end his career or anything, but it will make it pretty tough for him to make it to opening day starting next season, depending on how he handles this UCL injury. What are you thinking about the 49ers at quarterback? Should they just stick with Trey Lance and hold on to him? Have Brock Purdy be his backup and then see where it goes during the season? Should they get Tom Brady? And how about you start there with the Tom Brady part? How many games do they win next year if Tom Brady's their quarterback? Well, they already they already won 13 this year, and they didn't have the best of quarterback play. So clearly they've shown that you don't need the all-world Tom Brady version to show up. You just need a game manager. And I think at, what, he's at 47 next season? That's all you really need with, with the defense that they have. I don't think they're going to win. If they get Tom Brady, I don't think they're winning 13 games. But they've got – some incredible offensive weapons around him. Kyle Shanahan's a great offensive player, play caller. Tom Brady will be able to, you know, handle and manage the big game situations better than any quarterback that Shanahan's had in his career as the head coach. So I think they get up there double digit wins. I'm not going to say 13, maybe 11, maybe 10, 11 wins, but that's probably enough in that conference anyways, next year to win it and get into the playoffs and go on a run in the NFC. I think they've got a chance. If they get Tom Brady, they got a good chance of getting to the NFC Championship game again and maybe having a better result than they had this last weekend. But uh, yeah, I think I think that's a good chance. If they get Tom Brady, they can get back to the NFC Championship game again at least. 
maybe this is a hot take. And normally I say I'll never bet against Brady. Yeah. But you're saying he's cooked. I, I think they win like nine games. I, I just, I just don't think that Tom Brady has a whole lot left. And I don't want to blame it on what was around him in Tampa Bay. It's so funny about Byron Leftwich, where he's a genius and then an idiot once yeah. Tom Brady stops being able to play. Like, I don't think that either one of those is true. It's probably just a fine offensive coordinator who can't, you know, uh, rub magic on Tom Brady and make him go back five years. Uh, he was not throwing the ball very well. It didn't seem like he was seeing things like he used to. And that's Tom Brady's best trait is being able to read defenses and make quick reads and things like that. And all of us, no matter who you are or what you have done to your body that may be legal or illegal, uh, none of us have the same eyes and the same brain as we did as far as quickly reacting to things and stuff like that at 47 that we do at even even probably mid thirties, like time comes for everybody. I think that they would be disappointed actually in their results uh, because one of Brock Purdy's best traits was getting rid of the ball quickly, making those reads and just finding the guy who's flashing open for an eye blink of a second. I don't think it's a great idea to go get Brady because if he ends up looking like Peyton Manning playing for Denver at the end, I know they won the Super Bowl. And 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 defenses are no guarantee. Like their defense yeah. has a lot of talent, but D'Amico Ryan's is gone and it could get harder. First place schedule. Like I just don't see it as a great idea. I do see it as a possibility that they freak out, that they panic <laughs> and they like do that. I think staying the course is actually the best way for that organization to handle it because if Trey Lance is good and things are harder for you and he wins like 10 games. Well, that's fine. Like that means you're going in the right direction. And that means that you could be on, you know, a Josh Allen like path with him where he develops. Uh, you know, I, I just think that like, don't bail on that thing. Like, yeah. Unless you hate the guy behind the scenes, don't <laughs> bail on that yet. Uh, because he's had time to uh, get a little bit of playing that he hasn't played a lot. He's had time to understand the NFL, how it works, how the offense works and everything else over a couple of years. And if it does click, you're going to have one of the best quarterbacks in the league on a rookie contract. And if it doesn't, you have another guy whose elbow will get repaired just like all starting pitchers do. And he'll come back because science is great and it'll be fine. Uh, I think that's a much better plan, but I also could totally see them losing their minds getting Tom Brady, putting Brock Purdy as the backup. And then when they're a 500 team, we're talking about like, should they bench Brady for (laughs) Brock Purdy? If this, if this happens, I want you to pull this audio slash video and we will play it every day. If if this scenario plays out, but I, I just, I just think that we overestimate like when, when things that are hyped up happen, we overestimate them of like, what's going to actually go down. Uh, mm-hmm. in the league. And I, and I feel like this has always happened in football, a team, remember the Philadelphia, like dream team, yep. they put together the great players. And then it was just like immediately disappointing. This happens where teams base where they're at on last season, but a lot changes from year to year. So I don't, I don't like that idea for San Francisco at all. Yeah. I'm not the biggest fan of it because what we saw from Brady wasn't that great, but I think that defense does give them a lot of leeway as to what to do. And I think it provides them the space to not panic and whether that happens or not is beyond all of us because we saw how they moved so quickly and efficiently to get Jimmy Garoppolo back in the day and they gave up a little bit of picks a couple picks to get him at the time so it 
they have a tendency to make these moves that do help them, but also it's Tom Brady at 47. Who knows how that's going to play out? I like the idea of just staying where they're at, staying with the guys they have, and seeing if uh, Brock Purdy or Trey Lance can do it in San Francisco because that defense is so good. Yes, you're you're losing your defensive coordinator, but that the pieces in that defense are so good. They play so physical. They play so well. I don't know that they can't keep doing that. Yes, defense is one of the more variable things in the NFL that it doesn't really translate. It's not always translatable from year to year. So it may drop off, but they've got a good enough defense over the past couple of years that they should feel confident in sticking with what they have. And they don't need to go out and get a Tom Brady or get Aaron Rodgers to, you know, get them over that hump. I think they're good with what they've got right now. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's right. And uh, if they do it, it'll sure be a lot of fun and a lot of uh, attention toward that team. But I think they should think about the next few years. Like Kyle Shanahan's going to be the coach there for a really long time. Think about the five-year plan as opposed to just the one year desperately searching for a Super Bowl. And it might actually work out better for you because otherwise you've probably lost everybody. Uh, You've lost the other two quarterbacks if you go out and get Brady. All right, so uh, we'll wrap up with this. An article from CBS ranks the 12 losing playoff teams and their chances at the Super Bowl next year. Now, their rankings, just to start at the top, Bengals, as far as the chance to go to the Super Bowl next season, Bengals are number one, Bills are number two, Jaguars three, Vikings are number four, which to me is pretty shocking for them in a place to be, uh, ahead of the 49ers, ahead of the Ravens. Uh, I mean, I can't see it with the Giants, but – Here's the one for me, Jonathan, that I think is ill-placed is the Chargers. So they hire Kellen Moore. I think he's the right offensive coordinator. This team also had a lot of injuries last year, Mm -hmm. and uh, they had a 27-point lead over the Jaguars. I think the Jags are a good pick in the AFC, but I might move the Chargers up to equal odds, and I might even – here you go. This hot routes. This is not for cold takes. This is not for, for just being like routine and hitting it down the middle. This is for going for broke. I think the Chargers have a better chance to win the Super Bowl next year than the Bills because the Bills already saw their roster start to deteriorate and it's going to happen even more with the contracts that they gave out. Like, go look at Von Miller's contract. Go look at all the the cap space uh, that's dedicated to a handful of players. And we've kind of seen that movie before. The Chargers might have just been a, a year too early on the hype and now with an offensive coordinator who's a little more wise to the year 2023, I think that they are dangerous. And the team that just can't be low enough, although it really depends on what they do, the Buccaneers I just cannot see. I mean, their franchise is not in a great spot. Um, And this also has the Cowboys at 11th, which I know probably gets you excited. I think that's too low. Like, I know Mm -hmm. Kellen Moore was good at his job. I know. I I think it's a – I don't think it should – I think the Cowboys should be higher than the Vikings because all that talent is coming back. Dak Prescott, uh, while Tony Pollard got hurt, that's tough for him, and he's a free agent. But their offensive line is still going to be good. And their defense, Micah Parsons is going nowhere. They have some young-ish players on defense. Dan Quinn is going to return. I I mean, I think that if we're talking about Vikings versus Cowboys, it's probably either or. But, I mean, I think that the Vikings are in a reset type of mode, whereas Dallas is probably going to take another swing at it next year. But other than that, your thoughts on uh, the list? Yeah, Vikings at four is incredibly high, though they are in the NFC, the weaker of the two conferences. So I'll, I'll give the writer that, but Vikings at four is way too high for where they're what they're going to have to do this offseason 
to to build and rebuild essentially as you said they're in reset mode essentially especially on the defensive side of the ball um i think the cowboys are around the area that i would expect them to be with mike mccarthy as their head coach that's not really a hot take anymore from me anyways because of how how hot my hatred is for that guy and the roster they have yes i agree with you on the roster they have an incredible roster that's all returning that should be higher but now that you got rid of Kellen Moore, now that you got rid of the reason why that offense was was pretty good and the play calls that they had on offense generally worked out, except for that last play in San Francisco, what what the hell was going on there? Uh, well, I had the last play this year as well, which I think, yeah. I mean, did that get him fired? Like, that would be funny if, like, a, a meaningless last play that was never going to work actually was right. the thing that got him fired. It'd be embarrassing for Mike McCarthy to use that as the reason why he got fired instead of, you know, looking at the whole scope of the entire season and how they handled everything that happened, losing Dak Prescott and still managing to keep pace with the Eagles throughout the season. Uh, yeah, I think they they deserve to be lower than they than they normally would with the roster they have because of what they've done there with their coaching staff, uh, getting rid of Callum Moore. I think the Chargers definitely deserve to be up there. I like the Jaguars up at three, maybe even at two because of the roster they have. And as the writer points out, they're getting Calvin Ridley next season, who's coming back from his suspense. Here's the year long suspension. So their wide receiver core is only going to get better. I love that, that roster that they put together in Jacksonville and the coaching staff and Trevor Lawrence, as we said numerous times over the past couple of weeks, I like the Jaguars going into next season because of their division and what they're able, what they'll be able to do this off season, continuing to build around Trevor Lawrence, who's on a rookie quarterback contract. I think that's a that's a perfect team to jump up and maybe kind of supplant uh, Joe Burrow or Patrick Mahomes next year anyways for a year and get to the Super Bowl from the AFC. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I do think that, I mean, I put Tampa Bay quite low, but we don't know what they're going to do at quarterback. And if they got Jimmy Garoppolo or something yeah. based on their division, I would say you yeah. never do know, right, in the way that the NFC is kind of structured. Um, but I think the NFC is going to get stronger next year and not easier. Frank Reich in Carolina is a big deal. That's the a great Falcons are the Falcons are a team to keep an eye on. Like they're going to make a quarterback change. Uh, they also have money to put into their roster because they did the reset. And the team that I think is in one of the most difficult spots, uh, maybe for next year, but not long term, is Seattle because Geno Smith played well enough to earn a $30 million contract. It's like they shouldn't pay him probably, but now they set right. an expectation and that's a weird place to be, but they could still draft someone with plans to move on uh, after that. But I don't see them as a Super Bowl contender until they have a different quarterback there. Gino's a great story, played really well, but he's not somebody who's going to play 17 good games for you. Uh, great stuff, Jonathan. We are one week away from the Super Bowl, essentially week and a half. And I'm excited. We'll do a preview of the Super Bowl, all Super Bowl questions uh, next week, unless something crazy happens, which it might, but mostly all Super Bowl questions for next week for Hot Routes. If you're watching for the first time on YouTube, uh, I do the Purple Insider podcast every day. So make sure you go check that out if you found us because you're a Vikings fan and we do each week with Hot Routes. So if you missed any episodes, you could go back and listen to them or make sure you're here around nine o'clock uh, on Tuesdays. Tonight got set back a little bit, but usually that's where we're at is about nine o'clock every Tuesday. So Thanks, Jonathan. Thanks, everybody, for watching slash listening, and we will catch you all later.